0: Uh, today's scripture reading is from Proverbs 16, verse 11, 11, uh, chapter 12, verse 18, chapter 20, verse 30, chapter 27, verse 6, and chapter 18, verse 21. Proverbs 16:24: Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 11:11. 11, 11. By the blessing of the upright a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked it is overthrown. Proverbs twelve eighteen. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs twenty thirty. Blows that wound cleanse away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. Proverbs twenty seven six. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And Proverbs 18:21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You may be seated. Again, I'm Brant I introduced myself already, and all I'll say now is that uh, if you don't know me, I'd love to get to know you. Uh, don't be afraid to come and, and chat with me. Um, I'd love to get a coffee with you. I'd love to connect with you. Uh, myself and Jonathan and Fred are uh, the elders here at Christ City Church, and we want to get to know you, to love you, and to care for you well. So uh, don't be a stranger. We'd love to, to see you. Um, as we jump into the Word of God this morning— uh volume might be a little bit hot there, Kevin— um, the, uh, the thing that we need to do is pray. <laughs> we need to ask God to help us. Uh, we're dependent on him in every way. Uh, so would you bow your heads with me and ask him to help us? Heavenly Father, we lift our hands. We come before you and we ask for your help. And Lord, we are uh, sinners who've been saved by your mercy and your grace. We want to worship you and praise you and ask that even now your Holy Spirit would be at work in us, uh, taking our eyes off of ourselves, putting them on you, uh, helping us to worship even as we're brought a word um, that may be a convicting word about speech and listening, Father, for us. That we would hear that, but hear it in light of the gospel, uh, to receive the forgiveness that's in Christ and the growth and the change that is empowered by him in his resurrection. Uh, Would you help us now in Jesus' name? Amen. So this morning, we're in our third Sunday in the book of Proverbs, and this is good news for all of those of you who are immensely practical people, and you've been wondering, hey, we're in Proverbs, how come we've been talking about these big ideas for two weeks? Uh, Well, the good news is we get to start getting into the deeply practical stuff today. Uh, We've covered now in our first two messages um, a word about what wisdom is, and also a word about how to become wise. So just a little bit, by way of summary for you, we learned that, that wisdom is this I have a slide for you here. It's living rightly in God's created world with all our thinking, doing and our lover, our loving <laughs> and loving. Let me speak that out clearly. Um, and besides that, we also looked at the way that, that this wisdom is connected to, to righteousness. So the wise person is a righteous person. And righteousness in Proverbs is this idea of the way that I bend my life in righteousness to love my neighbor. That the wise, righteous person is willing to disadvantage themselves in order to advantage somebody else. Whereas the wicked fool, on the other hand, disadvantages others in order to advantage themselves. There's some wisdom, there's there's righteousness for you. And we also looked that that wisdom has a starting place. We saw that in Proverbs 9, verse 10. We'll look at it again right now, which says this, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So in other words, if you don't fear God, you can't be wise. If you don't learn to fear God, you'll never become wise, according to the book of Proverbs. That sounds pretty important then, doesn't it? So what is it? Well, to remind you, and if you weren't here last week, I'll give you just a quick summary. The fear of the Lord has to do with what happens when we stand before him, when we see and catch a picture of him and his glory and his majesty, and it brings us, woe. it humbles us. It, it shines a light into the depths of my heart. And I see who I really am not compared against my neighbor who I'm pretty sure I'm better than, Right. Is that true for for you too? You you know, you kind of think, I'm probably a little bit better than my neighbor, but not compared against them, compared to God and brought low and humble before him. And there's a scary thing that comes from that because we see the way that we're sinful, that he's holy and that he is just and that we ought to be punished by him. But what happens if the fear of the Lord turns the corner from that place towards love and worship as it receives God's offer of relationship and grace. To Jesus Christ. So we come before him. We turn into worshipers. And we come admitting before him. God we are small people. I don't know nearly what I think I know. And I need to be instructed by you. About how to live in your world. Can you teach me? The fear of the Lord. Is the beginning of wisdom. That's just a little summary. Wisdom, righteousness, fear of the Lord. Now we can move to. Speaking and listening. An immensely practical topic for us this morning. I was tempted to call it the social media sermon, but I didn't. Uh, even though uh, I'm going to tell you an illustration right now to show the importance of our speaking and listening that we'll use some social media. So here's a little story to jump into our topic to kind of highlight the importance of this for us. Have you ever heard of someone named Justine Seiko? Have you heard her story? It's kind of a famous social media story. It's an oldie but a goodie, and it illustrates the dark side of our communication, especially on the internet. So Justine Seca was the senior editor, uh, sorry, senior director of communications for a company called IAC. It's an internet and media company. It was, you know, a leading company. Uh, And then back in 2013, she was in this position, and it was Christmas time. So she thought, well, I'm going to go and see my family in South Africa. So she gets on a plane, leaves the states, uh, and goes around this trip to go to South Africa, and along the way she starts tweeting. She starts tweeting these little racially charged comments that kind of escalate. You'll see this. First tweet: We're a German dude. You're in first class, it's 2014. Get some deodorant in her monologue as I inhale B.O. Thank God for pharmaceuticals. And then a layover in Heathrow, chili, cucumber sandwiches. Bad teeth, back in London. And then on her way to Africa. Going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white. So Justine, she hardly had any followers on Twitter at the time. She had 170. And her comments, she thought, were mostly private. She made them chuckling to herself, despite their obvious growing and deeply inappropriate and and racist tone. And that last awful tweet, it ended up going viral. So here's what happened. She gets on a plane in London, right? And no one's responded. You know, her small group of followers, they don't really know what's going on. And she falls asleep on the plane. And as she falls asleep on the plane, her tweet becomes a number one trend on Twitter. The number one trend on Twitter. and The demand for her punishment and the indigra- indignation and the outrage just spreads like wildfire. People are angry. And what's interesting about this story is that at that point, it became entertainment. People tweeted about it being late. I'm at the bar. I should go to bed. But I I can't wait till she lands to see her turn her phone on and see the devastation that's going to happen to her. The New York Times magazine reported what followed. They said, The anger soon turned to excitement. All I want for Christmas is to see Justine Seiko's face when her plane lands and she checks her inbox voicemail. And, oh man, at Justine Seiko is going to have the most painful phone turning on moment ever when her plane lands. And we are about to watch this at Justine Seiko expletive. I edited that for you. Fill it in as you think. uh, Get fired in real time before she knows she's getting fired. The hashtag, Has Justine Landed Yet, became the hashtag to follow on Twitter. Has Justine Landed Yet. Eventually she did. She arrived. Someone in the airport took a picture of her and posted it to Twitter to update all the myriads of people that were interested in the story and said, she's here. She's hiding behind her sunnies. Looks like she's a little bit embarrassed. She was crushed as the texts and the tweets and the emails poured in. She got to her family, South in South Africa, and they were long-term Mandela Party supporters. And they were deeply ashamed of her. Deeply. This is not how our family behaves. Her safety, even in South Africa, was compromised. She had to break off her vacation, go home early. And when she got back to New York, she was fired. She spoke to reporters later about her personal devastation, her stupid tweet, the sleepless nights, the endless crying and the deep, deep shame that follows her. The story is amazing to me. It's a cautionary tale, isn't it? Of nearly everything that can go wrong with human speaking and human listening. You know, you have on the one hand, Justin's, Justine's public, flippant, racist comment. Thought to be somewhat private. You have her pride in feeling that, that smug cleverness about what she's tweeting about. You know, I look, I mean, I'm, I'm being quite clever in this. You have Sam Biddle. It's the name of the guy who first spotted the tweet and had 15,000 followers. Someone alerted him and he thought, oh, this is too delicious to, to not post. And to send it out. It's his sense of justice and self-righteousness in outing her. You have the way Biddle broadcasts, broadcasts her indiscretion to the world without so much as a, a personal word to her. You know, you should probably take that down. That's not appropriate. You have the way that no one sought to give her a larger hearing. You have the crowds piling on, outrage increasing, grace diminishing, each racing to demand more from the next one and prove how just they are. You have the sport of it. Has Justine landed yet? Violent, gleeful, eagerly anticipating her destruction. I mean, Who needs gladiators when we have Twitter? Hey? I think that's why it's so popular. It feels like gladiators sometimes, see? Hey? Justine's story is so incredible, though, because her speech wasn't wise or righteous. It wasn't. But neither was anybody else's. And that's the incredible thing about it. Words are powerful. How we speak and how we listen are incredibly important. Just look at a couple of Proverbs with me. Proverbs 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Gracious words are like honeycomb. Sweetness of the soul and health the body. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Words, words pierce us, don't they? Deep into our hearts. You know, I doubt that there's anybody in this room that hasn't at some point in their life been pierced by a careless word, pierced by a word in general, maybe something in your childhood, in your teen years, Something said in passing that was crushing and wasn't even really meant to be that way or something that you didn't even notice or they didn't notice an observer wouldn't have picked up on it, but still haunts you today. Or maybe it was something that was repeated over and over and over again and was malicious and intentional and has hurt you and cut you deeply over the years. We're all aware of the problem. (laughs) There's a problem here. Does the Bible have anything to say about it? Yes, there's good news for us this morning in the Bible. We're going to jump in and look at how the Bible can help us here. And as we open the Bible and and see how it helps us here, I hope you'll start to appreciate with me how beautiful biblical wisdom is. And I hope you'll start to see, too, the way that we need the gospel in our speaking and in our listening. So here's our outline. Words are powerful, so one, speak righteously. Two, listen carefully, and three, watch your heart. Words are powerful. So speak righteously, listen carefully, and watch your heart. Let's look at our first point, speak righteously. So uh, this morning, I confess I hate subpoints. points. Arian's been getting on my case, so I, I can't say hate. My little boy keeps saying, don't say hate data. Uh, I dislike subpoints. I'll say. Um, but we're going to have six of them. We're going to look at the six characteristics of righteous speech right now. So I'm eating my words. A little bit of humility for me this morning. Number one, righteous speech is honest. Look at Proverbs 24, 26. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Now, don't get too excited. It's not a proverb about dating, right? It's not a proverb about romance. This is a proverb that is using that culture where a kiss... And that Hebrew culture was an expression of faithfulness, of loyalty, of friendship. This proverb is really about that situation that you've been in, as I've been in many times. When you're talking with someone for like two hours, you're chatting away, and then you go to the, the bathroom afterwards, and you look in the mirror, and you have kale all over your teeth. You just came back from tractor before you saw them, maybe. And you got the kale on your teeth, and you think, why didn't they say something to me? Like, they let that go for two hours. You know, they could have saved me some embarrassment. Why didn't they speak? Why speech is honest. Are you honest with those around you about what you see in their lives? Are you honest with one another when there is need for growth and for repentance? You know, if you asked your coworkers if a given presentation went well, and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it was super great, awesome, great, great presentation, when it was awful— They're not helping you, right? They're not using their words righteously and lovingly for you to help you grow. They don't really care about you, if that's all they say to you. They don't care about you at all. How much more so then for Christians in the church? Shouldn't we speak honestly to one another to help one another grow? When we fail to speak honestly, I think we demonstrate a lack of wisdom and righteousness because we aren't willing to disadvantage ourselves with an uncomfortable moment, in order to, to help someone else grow. The Proverbs teach, Proverbs 27, 5-6, to better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Friends aren't afraid to wound if necessary. Only enemies say everything that they know the other person wants to hear at all times. Our second characteristic of righteous speech though is to the point it will help if we're not merely honest but also careful and to the point which is this next characteristic so look at proverbs 10 verse 19 these are also deeply convicting to me proverbs 10 19 when words are many transgression is not lacking but he who restrains his lips is prudent there's a reason why this one's so convicting for me if you know me you know that in my life this is what happens we start talking. I get excited. And as I get excited, I talk more. And as I talk more, I lose some perspective and I start to think more of myself than I ought to. I fear the Lord a whole lot less than I should. I insist that I know things that I don't. And, no, no, no. You're wrong about that. When clearly I'm the one who's wrong and foolishness just shoots out and multiplies. If you've talked to me, you've seen that. You know that about me. Proverbs seventeen twenty eight says this, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. Man, what I need to grow in wisdom is just to shut up already, right? I need to just close my mouth. The wise person knows how to rein in their tongue to slow that thing down before it gets them into any more trouble than it is was already doing. I feel that. Maybe you felt that too. To the point, honesty, the third point here is, uh, is that we need to be calm. Righteous speech is calm. Maybe you've noticed this. When words increase, the temperature of the conversation rises, but that calmness can bring it down. Look at 1727. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Isn't that beautiful? With our words, brothers and sisters, we can, we can incite hatred. With my words, I can turn you against one another, and you can turn me against you and against others as well. It happens. Or, with our words, we can be like God. As Jesus says, we can become peacemakers. The wise and the righteous are peacemakers. They're calm. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer churns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. I I know this personally, because one time I was on a boat with a very large man. Isn't that the best way to start a story? I'm on a boat with a large man. You're on the edge of the seat, aren't you? And I I got into a small room, a very small room with this very large man, who was also very angry. So angry that he was probably close to throwing everybody on that boat off of the boat. And it's a friend of mine, I, I stand, when I'm around this guy, like my head comes up to his chest, I feel like. Like, I'm, I, you know me, I'm tall. This guy is enormous. And I'm looking at him, and he is seething. He's seething. And I'm in this tiny room. I'm like bumped up against his chest trying to talk to him and talk him down. And I'm looking at his arms and thinking, if he punches me, I'm dead. Like, he wouldn't just one-punch KO me. He'd one-punch and kill me. But, by God's grace, I genuinely love him. And I was able to to talk to him calmly and to, to speak words of love to him. And he calmed down and nobody was killed that day. It was great. It was great. On the other hand, how many times have we all been in that situation, myself included, where what we want to do is just let fly right back at the person. And we do. We don't rein it in. We just let it go. We respond in kind with a harsh word, and it's like throwing gasoline on the fire. I mean, that, that's legitimately in mission what we did on Friday nights to have fun, but, and it's cool to throw gasoline on fires, but you don't want to do that in conversations. And it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. The temperature source. You know, carefully and wisely navigating a conversation calmly is challenging because all the things you'd like to say you don't. You disadvantage yourself righteously again and again, absorbing the blows and responding, responding with peace and with calm in order to try to bring the conversation from where it is and land it softly and gently. Wise, righteous speech is willing to disadvantage itself in order to advantage and benefit others. That's what we're talking about here. You know, it's counterintuitive, though, because what we think isn't the case the Bible teaches that that gentleness and calm are more powerful and effective than the harsh and loud and angry word. Anyway, Proverbs twenty five fifteen says, "With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone." Those are our first three points. Our fourth is that righteous speech is also about wise timing wise, righteous speech willingly waits for the right moment, disadvantaging itself. You know, this is really hard for me in my marriage. This single point has been probably one of the hardest lessons for me to learn because in my marriage, I have, I think a good impulse to want to resolve conflicts quickly. But when I want to resolve a conflict quickly, I often don't wisely choose the right time. I pick the time that's least convenient and least helpful, and least loving for Heather. Like at midnight. Midnight's a good time to resolve a conflict. You know? Hey, Heather, by the way, um, I think we need to work through this when, you know, she's almost asleep. And it's not helpful for her. It makes everything worse. We end up staying up till 2 before it's resolved, and then we have to get up at 6. Right? All it would have taken to be wise would have been to wait for the morning <laughs> when we have slept a little bit and we're rested. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. Speaking the right thing at the right time is this essential component of wise speech. It's not speaking anything in the moment just because you want to get in on a conversation. I've done that. Maybe you've done that too. You, you just feel, I want to speak something. It's not wise. It, it feels good, but I just like to throw it in there. And it's not apt, it's not the right timing not the right thing at the right time Twenty-five, eleven says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver i mean that's really weird language can we be honest that's a bit strange heather says it, it's obvious i don't think that's obvious at all it's supposed to communicate that it's beautiful that it's pleasant that it's pleasing it's beautiful when the right thing is said at the right time next wise righteous speech comes from a place of love for others This is so important. It has to come from a place of love for others. It's not sufficient to merely speak what's true. You must speak in love in order to benefit and to heal and to bind up and to help those that you are talking to. But on the other hand, wicked and foolish speech, it doesn't care at all about the the ones that they're speaking to or the ones that they're speaking about. Look at Proverbs 12, verse 18 and 12, verse 6. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrush. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. The word of the wicked lie in wait for blood. But the mouth of the upright delivers them. I'm surprised by how much of this there is in my own heart. And I think there's probably more of it in your hearts than you realize. Do you ever use your words like swords? To thrust away and to pierce someone. Do you lie in wait at times for opportunities to attack someone with your words? When your friends or your spouse or your coworkers or your classmates or your competition stumbles, do you jump on the opportunity to point it out? Ha <laughs> ha! You failed! I saw that! I'm going to make fun of you for it. Proverbs 17.9 says, whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. It's hatred in our hearts, says God's word, that motivates our hurtful words. It's hatred that motivates the hurtful words. Not real love. But the thing is, this hatred, it doesn't always look like hatred, does it? Because flattery is a kind of hatred too. There's a way to to hate someone with your words by speaking nice things. That cloying, soft, sweetness of speech that really hates Are there any harry potter fans here i'm gonna use a harry potter illustration okay i'm gonna go away this is not gonna land super well but think of dolores umbridge right like the most wicked of the lot of the professors she's she's wearing pink she speaks sweetly but she's despicable and she hates her students proverbs 26:28 says this a lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin Lastly, wise, righteous speech is personal. Wise speech avoids gossip and slander and malicious talk about others by committing to speak to one another personally in relationship. Super important. Proverbs twenty six seventeen says this, whoever, whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Don't do that, by the way. The dog will bite you. So basically the entirety of social media ought to pay attention to this verse, right? And then we're going to turn the fingers inwards and we need to as well because if you're like me, you've meddled in conversations. Maybe online, maybe ones that have been around you. I've meddled. Uh, There's a time a couple years ago that stands up to me where I was deeply convicted because um, I got involved in a conflict online about a professor that was fired for the seminary that I went to. So the professor was let go he was a dearly loved professor, and this debate ensued about the justice or injustice of his firing. And so I naturally took the cause of justice, right, and, and made it known that I was, you know, standing here. But here's the thing. My pastor in Louisville, he called me up on the phone. He said, Brent, I noticed you commented on this. And he quoted this proverb to me. <laughs> he quoted this one about, about taking the dog by the ears. And I was so convicted. I was so convicted. And I realized— what do I know? Like, I don't know this professor. I don't know the situation. I wasn't there for any of the conversations, but yet I think that I ought to get involved and say something anyway. So I repented. I took my comments down. I stopped. You know, the fear of the Lord helps us here because I think we get into a lot of trouble in our speech merely by thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. But when we fear the Lord, there's this deep humility that comes on us and it makes us realize, oh, you know, maybe I don't know as much about that situation as I think I do. Maybe I'm smaller than I think I am. You know, it's possible that that there's a lot more going on that I don't know about. Wisdom humbly accepts that when my speech isn't connected to someone in relationship and love, then maybe I shouldn't get involved in the discussion. Maybe I shouldn't do it. I think that's a countercultural word, about as countercultural as you can get. But I'm trying to persuade you, it's from scripture. And it would help us if we paid attention to it. But on the other hand, when you do see something in a relationship that you're actually involved in, righteous speech doesn't gossip about it. and It doesn't slander. Righteous speech protects the person involved and takes a step of going and talking to them personally. Face to face. Look at Proverbs 25, 7 to 10. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another secret. Lest he who hears you bring shame on you, and your ill repute have no end. This is a really interesting proverb. lot's going on there. One of the things that it's saying is that the reason you shouldn't get, the reason you shouldn't just observe something and drag it before the court is you might have observed wrong you may not actually know the full story of what's going on. Another thing it's saying is that little piece about, um, oh, I've lost my place. That little piece about not revealing another secret. There's, there's a personal piece. To this. I need to go and talk to them and respect them. And that's actually good for us. And it protects us from looking like fools when we've said a whole bunch of slanderous and false rumorous things and are proved wrong by it. Go and talk to the person. So brothers and sisters, I guarantee you that in this church, There are slanderous words being spoken about one another. It happens. We're a group of people and we're sinful. My challenge to you right now is to go and speak to your brother or your sister face to face. Reconcile. Forgive. Get together. Work it out. Ask for forgiveness. Repent. This is what wise speech does. So how are we doing? How are you guys doing this morning? Hanging in there? That's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. And you know what? We barely scratched the surface. A lot more could be said. Really, we could preach a sermon on each of these points itself. There's a lot here, but there's, there's more. We got to turn to our next point because part of our wise speaking is going to be informed by our wise listening. Wise listening is so important. We need to listen carefully. So that's our second point. Listen carefully. Why? Why do we listen carefully? Because the wise and righteous person listens carefully because they know that they need it. They're humble. Look at Proverbs 15:31 to 33. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. So that's a great passage. I have some diagnostic questions to see how we line up. It's going to be a little uncomfortable. When someone comes to you with a word of correction or rebuke, what's your response? Do you immediately assume that you're in the right? Do you resist? Do you self-justify? You know, we're to be a people in this church that are characterized by embodying the gospel to one another. That means that part of that is that we're to be characterized by speaking the truth to one another. How are we doing growing to prepare for the moment that when that happens to me, I can receive it? That when someone speaks a word to me, I can, I can listen. I can hear. Here's a quick tip for you. The next time someone brings a word of challenge to you, don't respond. Wait two or three days and pray about it. Think about it. Let it sit on you before you respond. Don't avoid correction. Only the fool lives his life insulating himself from a community that corrects him or her. Look at Proverbs chapter 18, verses 1 to 2. This is a, I love this passage. It's very convicting. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Don't isolate yourself. There's grace through the church as we work together and grow in Christ. That means you need to come and be present and open up your heart to us that we can open up our hearts to you. So, listening is important for our growth, but it's also important for learning to speak wisely. Are you patient in collecting data before you speak into a situation? Look at Proverbs 18, verses 13 to 15. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and his shame. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Wise communication requires careful listening. Talk less, listen more. If you don't listen, what this proverb is sharing with us is that if you speak too soon, if your words aren't carefully directed in love and righteousness at the heart, you risk the, the danger of deeply wounding somebody. Now, I'm going to confess to you this morning, I've done this recently. This is hard for me. It's hard for all of us, I think. I've not collected data like I should before I've spoken. I've done that a lot. And it's awful. It's awful i'm repenting of it thankful for the grace of god that he forgives people like me who are foolish and wicked with my speech sometimes but we if we're to grow if we're to to use our words in a way that that heals and that binds up and that gives life we need to listen carefully are you willing to do that are you willing to go and to listen go slow listen carefully So, for honest and humble as we should be, I think we'll all admit that our hearts don't really want to do this stuff. Is that true for you? In the moment? That's why I think our last point and our conclusion needs to be this that we must watch our hearts. Because when all is said and done, I know that living righteously and benefiting others and disadvantaging myself and loving them and doing all that stuff, yada 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 yada. I, I know it sounds good. Right? But in the moment. I get into the discussion with that person and I want to respond in kind. I want to fight back. I don't want to listen carefully. In the moment when I'm hanging out with my friends, I find my speech, it does this weird thing where my pride takes over, right? And, it, and it's not humble. All of a sudden it veers off into the self-centeredness. It's a bit disgusting. I bend the truth a little. I gossip a little. I put others down a little. And all that reveals for all of us that we have a heart problem. I have a will problem, a desire problem, a love problem. And it's this, I love me and not you. At the end of the day, when we talk about speaking and listening, we're confronted with Jesus' words in Matthew 15, verses 18 to 19, when Jesus said, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. It's true. And even in my own life, what comes out of me is not pretty. What does that say about my heart? This is where the wisdom of the Bible is so amazing and so unique. Because look, lots of people say that we should be kind and gracious in our speech, right? That happens all over the place. You ask somebody in Vancouver on the street, they'll say the same thing to you. But the Bible is unique because the Bible doesn't just say the same thing. It also offers forgiveness for when you fail. It doesn't pillory you like Justine Seca when you fail. There's grace. And it also offers the power to be changed at the root of the problem in my heart. Just think of a couple points here with me. Here's the uniqueness of the Bible and the gospel. Only in the gospel is my proud and selfish heart finally humbled. Because in the gospel, I see the price of my sin laid on the head of a humble savior. And I'm forever changed because in the gospel, Jesus begins to displace my love for me with a love for him. It's not about me anymore. It's about him. I love him. I'm humbled by him. And that can become a spring of life that is loving, that flows out of me towards others and changes their lives as well. Or only in the gospel, my own deep wounds are healed. As Jesus, the word incarnate speaks words of life and righteousness and healing to me. You need this. You need Jesus to speak the words that are true about you, to you. The words that you're made in God's image. That you're loved enough that the God of the universe is willing to take on flesh and die for you. And you need that word to heal you and to displace all those other things that have been said about you. All those other words that haunt you, that cut you, that crush you. And then as that happens, you're now empowered to speak the same kind of healing to other people because you know Christ. Only in the gospel are we listened to. Praise God for that. Finally, completely. He doesn't get impatient. He doesn't run away after I've been spilling my heart for a couple of hours. He hears me. As my heart has longed to be heard, he hears me. And he doesn't turn me away. He meets my greatest need. And then he changes me so that I can start to listen to others. So my, my listening can be a merciful and loving listening to what others have to say. As I'm empowered by him. Only in the gospel can I be free to be truthful. Because in the gospel, it's no secret who I am the deepest recesses of my heart have been laid bare before the God of the universe. He pierces me and cuts me to the core. I'm naked and exposed before him. I see in the gospel that my sin was so bad. God took on flesh and had to die so I could be forgiven, but he did it because he loves me. He loves me. So why lie about who I am? When I lie about who I am, I try to make it all about me again. I am trying to make myself look good when the gospel teaches that I'm not that great. But if I admit that I'm not great, you know what that does? It brings glory and honor and praise to the one who has loved and saved me and who is great. There's no need to hide in the gospel. You know, when Jesus' disciples were struggling with their pride and their self-promotion in their speech, Jesus said this to them. In Luke, he said, Let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader is one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you as the one who serves. If you're a Christian here this morning, Jesus has served you. He's laid down his life for you. What are the ways that God's pressing in on your heart right now to challenge you to learn, to fight, to repent, to be righteous yourself? And you're speaking and you're listening to serve others, to live for their benefit. Can we pray about this, Heavenly Father. We come before you, and we just admit our brokenness and our sin. We, Father, we confess it. Uh, there's fewer topics than speaking and listening that can render us to the core. Lord, I I ask that you would do that, that your Holy Spirit would be showing us who we really are so that we run to Jesus, so we run to him for forgiveness and for the heart change that can only happen through him. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd bless our church, that we would become distinct in this city because of the way we speak, because of the way that we listen that it would characterize us and change us and be a light in the dark place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit
0: ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.